good to see you guys and be with you guys. If this is your first time here, I want a person welcome you. My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I usually do a bulk of the preaching. Was gone last week. It was good for my family and I. We were uh, in Seattle for a vacation, and it, God blessed us because there was no rain for the whole time we were there, and it was it was absolutely gorgeous and so a lot of fun. Hey, before we jump into the text, today, I want to say congratulations to all of you guys who graduated uh, yesterday. So, <laughs> shout out. It's like, to me, it's perfect. Last week was Mother's Day, and you're like, yeah, I had a baby. Let's dedicate the baby to the Lord. But then, like, getting them out of the house and out of school, it's like, great, never talk to me again. Like, that's the part as a mom where I feel like it's, it's even better. But, all right. So we are going to be continuing our series in Titus. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and um, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high, and one of our ushers will walk down the aisle or in the overflow and get you a copy of God's Word. Just keep your hand raised. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in a knowledge and an understanding of Jesus Christ. Um, so we have been looking through this book of Titus, and last, or we started off, um, just a refresher, telling you that this is one of three letters that it's called the Pastoral Epistles who is writ- that is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, the other two letters are two letters that are written to a man named Timothy, First uh, and Second Timothy, and this letter Paul writes to Titus. Um, Titus is preaching, teaching, leading in a city called Crete. Um, and in this city, ultimately, there's different um, ideologies, different religious views, etc. Well, men and women were beginning to believe upon the gospel. That means trust in Christ, um, life, his death, and his resurrection. And then Paul writes to Titus to help establish more churches in this city and also to instruct them on what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that their life resembles the gospel in which they say that they believe. And so he writes this letter, and the first week we looked at leadership. And what is the leadership that God calls for a healthy local church? And the week after that, we looked at false leaders. How there's always going to be false teachings and false leaders that will lead God's people astray. And then we looked at what does the gospel look like when it begins to shape the way we live as older men and older women and younger men and younger women, employees and so forth. And then after that, um, we began to look at what Will Will talked about last week, looking at how we're supposed to submit to governing authorities and care for people all in light of the gospel. Now, today we have one verse. Um, However, I am going to go back a little bit to what Will taught on last week. Not that Will didn't do a good job. He did great. Just a couple things that weren't true, and so I'm going to fix that. And so, no, he did did awesome. He did awesome. I I do have to go back in order for us to understand verse 8, because there's some things that Paul calls us to um, as people of God, those of us in this room who would say that we're Christians, that in order for us to understand that, we got to understand verse 8. So in short, what Paul is talking about in our time this morning is that God's work in us um, leads us to good works that bless others. So God's work in us leads to good works that bless others. Ultimately, the work of God, our response, and what we do, and how it blesses the people around us. And so that's what we're going to begin at uh, this morning. So if you would, would you bow your heads and let's ask God by his spirit to bless our time this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, for the grace that's been given to us through your son, Jesus, the appearing of our great God and Savior, God, we thank you, Lord, for this letter, for your word, Lord, that is constantly encouraging and convicting and shaping your people throughout the ages. God, we ask that you would create in us a desire to long to see you, to see you face to face. Father, that you would equip us in this room that know you, Lord, to live for you and to live out good works. God, I pray for those of us in this room that do not know you, God, that you would reveal yourself, that by your spirit that you would allow the teaching of Scripture, Lord, to land in our hearts and our lives and to flow through our hands. God, we thank you. We praise you, 
In Jesus' name, amen. We're, we're going to jump right here. Uh, if you're in with me in Titus, uh, we're in Titus chapter 3, verse 8. And just for the sake of where we're going, um, it is ultimately God's work in us, and it leads to good works. And then lastly, the last word is that, that blesses others. What does it look like for us to bless others? And so just so you know, um, most of what we're talking about today is Christians actually doing good works. Meaning, week one, we said that the whole layout of this letter is that gospel believing should and will lead to gospel living. Meaning, you, you can't just check the box and say, I'm a follower of Christ, Jesus. Um, God has redeemed me. He saved me. He sanctified me. Whatever words you would use. And then ultimately, never live for the Lord. Like, at the end of the day, obedience is something that God calls for all of his children. And so we're going we're gonna to get after those things this morning. And the first thing first, as Paul says, um, for us to insist on a few things. That means we need to remind ourselves again and again God's work in us. Verse 8 here. Here's what he says. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. And so if we stop first and go, okay, something is trustworthy, and there's something he wants us to insist on. Now, the insisting means I want you to be confident. I don't want you to share this, teach this again and again and again and again. So this trustworthy thing and the, and the things he says are these things, he's talking about what happened verses 4 through 7. And what happened through 4 through 7 is what we know as the gospel or as the good news. And we say this, and I don't care that we say it every week, the gospel matters. Because apart from the gospel, we don't have anything. We don't have good news. It's up to us, which is terrible news. It's miserable. But in the gospel, we are free. And the gospel is not just something that we just believe and then we move on to something else, but it's something that begins to rework the fabric of our lives and every area of our life around and centered on the person and work of Jesus. And so I've paraphrased this quote for a while, but I thought I should just give you the quote verbatim here from Tim Keller. It says, we never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not the ABCs, but the A through Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum re required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make progress in the kingdom. I mean, if we're going to get anything that Paul says here, to insist on certain things, that this is trustworthy, that means we really got to be able to understand what he's saying when it comes to the gospel. And so when he says trustworthy, trustworthy, that phrase that he uses is like a way we would say there's certain things that everybody knows, right? Geico got those silly commercials like everybody knows that you can save 15% by switching to Geico or whatever, right? It's like you should know that. We, we say things like, um, like this, what goes up, what? Right? We know that. He's saying here's something you need to know. And that needs to be every day in your vernacular that you need to just know. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's work in us, something we don't do. So do me a favor. Let's go back to verse 4, and we're just going to walk through this again. This should be a refresher for those of us who were here last week. Verse 4, here's what Paul begins to say. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared. Now, he's talking about the fact that there are people in the particular culture of Crete that are living ways that do not reflect the gospel. And he says, before you go start judging them, realize you were just like that. We all are like that apart from God. He goes, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared. Now, here's what he says. This goodness and loving kindness of our Lord, like, that's a beautiful phrase. Like, I, I never hope that we get to the point where, like, I, I kind of know that God's good and he's kind. Like, that's a big deal. Because what he's talking about here is what the Hebrew, the Hebrew word there is hased. 
And that love is a type of love that says, um, I'm never going to quit on you even if you quit on me. Like, I'm going to love you even when you love me. It's a love that says, I ain't going nowhere, right? In the Hebrew, it literally says, I ain't going nowhere. Somehow, (laughs) somehow it got in there, right? This, this love, and it says the mercy and kindness of the Lord. This is what he did, and it says our God and Savior appeared. Now, Paul keeps using this word, and Titus appeared. The Savior appeared. You know why? He wants us to see Jesus. And he wants us to know that Jesus is someone we could know. That there's a historical Jesus, that he is real. God became man, and he came into this world, and he brought grace. This unmerited favor for all to get in on. And he says, understand this, stress this, insist on these things. And he says, he saved us. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ and you hear people say, I'm saved, what do you mean saved, right? Saved means that God has rescued us from the penalty of our sin. That, that metaphorically we were blind, but then he's given us sight. That we were lost and he found us. That we were born in this world naturally, ultimately headed toward death, but now we're reborn in Christ Jesus or born again toward eternal life. That this is beautiful working of God in our lives. And so when we say we're saved, that God is the one who rescued and reached down and he saved us. Not because of our work, but because of works done in righteousness. Meaning, not because we were moral. Not because we were most likely to become Christians. Not because there was some spiritual resume or pedigree that we brought to the Lord and he accepted us on behalf of what we did. But he says this, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. That all of us, every single man, woman, and child, born in this world, dead. And dead meaning not able to respond to the things of God. Um, Not having the ability or capability to respond to the things of God unless God did something. Unless he quickened our spirit in such a way that we'd be able to accept the beautiful invitation to know, trust, and follow Jesus. And so when he says the washing of regeneration, that is the work of the Holy Spirit to awaking us that we can now see and say, this is my God and I want to follow him. Here's what he has done on my behalf through Christ Jesus and I want to follow him. He says God did this and he gives us this picture here that he says the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I always love that picture of just pouring out. It's symbolic, um, it's ceremonial. Um, You see it in the prophet Joel when he prophesies on the day that this will happen, that he said the Spirit will be poured out upon God's people. We see it in a few places in the the book of Acts where the Spirit pours out. Paul picks up the same language in Romans chapter 5 when he says we won't ever have to worry about being put to shame because here's what God's going to do. He's going to pour out his love on us through the Holy Spirit. And there's this picture like God's not like holding anything back. It's like everything that I have in love, I'm pouring it out completely upon you through my son Jesus. And he says he poured this out on us so that being justified, that literally means to be made right before God by his grace, unmerited favor, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul says, please insist on these things. Like don't go anywhere from this truth that God is the one who saves sinners, that sinners do not wash themselves, God washes them. Sinners do not find themselves, God finds lost people. That blind people do not make themselves see, but God gives sight. That, that ultimately those who were guilty because of sin, that God is the one who washes and cleanses and so forth. He goes, insist on these things that it begins to show forth in people's life. So we never get past the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like that's just something. If we stop, if we stop preaching the gospel, you should stop coming to this church. Right? 
and, and say, these leaders are not doing what God's called them to do, and then go to another church, and hopefully those leaders are there listening to the gospel and go, oh, that's what we missed, and they come back, we'll start the church again, right, on the gospel, right? So here's, here, here's what Paul has. This is the work of God in us. This is not something that we do. Hear me on this. We do nothing for that. It is by his sheer grace and his mercy and his love. However, it doesn't just stop there. I feel like if I'm grading myself, which, which, which I do, and I'm going, okay, and then preaching over the course of the year, where are we missing? Where are we weak? Where, where, where are we off? And I would say the challenge and call of repentance and obedience, holiness, righteousness, faithfulness. You say, but that righteousness is in Christ. Absolutely. Holiness is in Christ. Absolutely. But our response to that, to actually obey God, that, that being a Christian is not, oh, yes, I get God's grace, and now I get to do whatever I want to do because you know what? He's going to forgive me anyway. That's not what Paul's talking about. In, in fact, I think it's interesting that when it comes to the good works that Paul talks about, he writes most about good works, that phrase, and his epistle letters, those three letters, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. This is also, I don't think coincidentally, at the end of his life, after he shared the gospel, after people have believed upon Jesus, and he's sitting at the end of his life, um, most people think, in prison going, okay, what do I need to give them? And 18 times between those three letters, good works, good works, good works. And simply good works is just obey. Like, do what God tells you to do and keep doing it in response to him. It doesn't make you right before the Lord. God does, but you're able to obey, meaning salvation in itself, the gospel given to us is not so that we just believe in Jesus, hang on to some born-again stick, waiting for God to come back and zap us to some place called heaven, right? It's that we actually follow Jesus in the life that he has, it. That, that this moment has happened where God has saved us, but he's also calling to us upon his mission. There's something else that's supposed to happen. Think of it this way. So it's summertime, which is wedding time for some reason in Arizona. Uh, and, and many of you guys, God bless you, you're getting married. And I'm looking at all the weddings that, that my particular share of doing the weddings with people, which I can't wait till I'll be at all your weddings. They're not going to be the same thing that I say at every other wedding. Um, and so, so, uh, <laughs> and so it's beautiful. And if you've ever been a part of a wedding, you've ever planned a wedding, you've been around people planning a wedding, you know, weddings are ridiculous, right? There's too much stuff that goes into a wedding, like too much. I should have got like eight amens on that one, right? There's just too much. Stuff. And people usually tell you, it's about you. It's your day. It's about you. But then moms is like, don't do that. No, -uh. we got to do this. We got to do that. You can't have that. It's like, I thought it was about me. It's not about you. And so like, like that's, a, that's how the weddings go. And then you get to the wedding day and, and part, like probably the best part of the wedding for me is, you know, you stand there and the groom's up there and, and if you're inside, the doors open up. If you're outside, they come along the little makeshift thing. Um, that they, they come in, and, and then, you know, usually you try to tell the mother-in-law, like, hey, when you see your daughter, why don't you stand, not the mother-in-law, the mother, why don't you stand up and then alert everybody else to stand up, right? I think we should change that. I think the groom should be the one that gets to say, like, he should go, the door's open, everybody get on your feet, right? <laughs> That's my girl right there, right? Like, get up, get up, get up, get up. Someone's like, I can't walk. Oh, sorry. But get up, get up, get up, right? Like, there should be something, because there's that moment, like, this is what I've been waiting for. I've had to get all these stinking addresses. People never got back to us. We had to taste all this food, pay all this money for this photographer. This is it. Like, this is what I've been waiting for, right? And you have this beautiful moment, and they share their vows, and it's beautiful. And, and, and you know, sometimes they do creative stuff, like sing songs to each other. It's just, it's amazing, right? But it doesn't stop there. You're not like, all right, it's over. See you later in heaven, right? 
Like, there's a, there's a life to be lived. Like, you get married, there's some things you're ready to get to, right? 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 <laughs> the cake. And that's a metaphor. So, so, so there's, there's, there's a life to live, right? The two have become one. Uh, you know, and you want to grow in this oneness, and, and, and God bless that you have this beautiful, beautiful walking and growing with the Lord, right? That's a, a beautiful picture. You would never stop at that moment, as beautiful and, ne- and necessary as the wedding is. As necessary as it is for you to sign and have a witness there to sign legally for that. As necessary it is to have someone officiate. As necessary as those things are, like you need them, but that is just the beginning of so much more. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus... Knowing that our sins are forgiven, beautiful. Knowing that we are one with God and we will reign with him for all eternity, absolutely beautiful. Knowing that it wasn't something that we did to get in and there's nothing we can do to get out of it, absolutely beautiful. But the gospel in itself should shape the way we live now. That we are no longer our own, but we belong body and soul to our God and our risen Savior who lives and who lives through us. So first, it is what God has done in us, and this work of God and the pouring out of his spirit is a response to that, is that we now are people who are called to do good works. Paul said it earlier in the letter, we're going to talk about it today, and spoiler alert, next week, he's going to say it again. Meaning there's something he wants the church to get, and that is in response to their love of the life and love of Jesus Christ, obey him. And it's a beautiful thing to live within the covenant of God and obeying him. And so here's what Paul says. After he says, insist on these things, God work in, God's work in us, it's the good works he gets to now. He says, this, this thing is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those, there's a so that to it, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Like so that those who have believed in God. Now, why is this important? Why, why is it that Paul has to, Talk about what God does in us first before he gets to the good works. Here's why. There's this beautiful thing that happened in history called the Reformation. You learned about it for about, I think, two days in your junior English class, if you were paying attention, right? And in the Reformation, one of the things that the church who protested, um, hence why we're called Protestants, one of the things they recovered was this beautiful teaching of the teaching of, of justification. And one of the leading reformers were a man by the name of Martin Luther. And in this justification um, of understanding of the doctrine of justification, what we see in Scripture, right, was that a person, a man or woman or child, is not made right before God by works, but they're made right before God by faith and grace. And it was beautiful. It was saying there was nothing you can do to make yourself justified. It is something that God has done, and all you need to do is respond by faith. And that has been the teaching of Protestant churches for years and years and years. And it's a beautiful teaching, meaning it is a one-time act of which God declares you righteous. Not by your own righteousness. He declares you righteous on the work of his son, Jesus. And that means if you've been a Christian for 20 years or you've been a Christian for 20 minutes, you were justified all the same. However, in an understanding, and I would say a love for that, sometimes that goes at the exclusion. The the teaching of uh, justification goes at the exclusion of a theology of works of a theology of understanding that, yes, God has made us right, but he didn't just leave us here to not obey him. That Jesus' words are very, very true. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. I mean, it's not about his love for you, it's your love for him, meaning 
it is, and it's not even a way for you to do words to prove, like, I love you, I love you. No, no. He's saying this is the natural outflowing of the person who the Spirit has been poured upon. So if you can say hallelujah and amen to the things of the gospel, then you should actually get your hands a little messy and serving and blessing the people around you. But if we can say, yes, my sins have been washed away, and we can walk up the aisles after the end of the message today and take communion and believe in the work of Christ, but then not do the work of Christ, then there's inconsistency there. That, that we're called to, to be God's people and to walk with him. So a theology of work, I think, is something that many of Protestant churches, we need to go, hey, our works matter. They're pleasing to God. He enjoys our work. And it's something that ultimately promotes the gospel in which we believe in. So, so, so Paul says, yeah, make sure that those who believe, that they believe and they devote themselves to good works. This is the way that God has operated. And this is not something new. In fact, if you could travel with me back to the Old Testament, this is the way that God's, God works throughout Scripture and human history. There's indicative. That means something God has done. And then he gives imperative, something we must do in response to what he has done. So the way it plays itself out in the Old Testament is God sovereignly and graciously redeems the people out of Egypt, out of the hands of Pharaoh. He gathers these people because of his love for them. Um, he rescued them, spares the life of their firstborn by giving them a substitute and the sacrificial lamb, redeems them, walks them through the Red Sea, gets them to a place, and then that's all indicative. That's all God's doing. And then he gives them the imperative of what we know as the law or the Ten Commandments, even though there's more than ten. And he gives them, here's what you're supposed to do. I have rescued you, he says in Exodus 19. I have rescued you. I have delivered you. You are now a priesthood of believers, meaning you are to represent to the whole world who I am. And the way you're going to do this is in being right covenantal relationship with me, and here's some laws and some guidelines to be able to live that way, meaning they were supposed to be witnesses. It was through their work and through their life and the way that they lived their whole life for the Lord that as men and women traveled from other countries that they began to see the way the Israelites lived before the face of their God and responding to his great love and grace, and they would say, who is your God? Why do you live this way? And then they would just say, it is the great God of the world, Yahweh himself, and his loving and his kindness. And there was laws that were there to care for the under-resourced and the under, um, ultimately the sojourner, the foreigner, that they would be able to get in on it. Like that was their mission, to join in what God himself was doing. But they didn't. In fact, one of the scariest verses in the Bible, um, which I don't think many of us really know, um, because I don't think that most of our daily prayer times in the morning is in Amos, uh, but... In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, it says, You of all families, you of all people, and literally nations, have I chosen. Like, you of all people have I chosen to ultimately bear his name. He goes, therefore, I must punish you. He goes, meaning you didn't do what you were called to do. That Israel ultimately failed in their mission, though they had seen the great work of the gospel, the good news of God redeeming. They had been given the law and how to live. It wasn't lack of knowledge. It was ultimately lack of obedience and faithfulness to God. Jesus now becomes the fulfillment of everything that Israel failed to do. That he becomes the ultimate priest that represents God to the world. That Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb. That Jesus himself now gathers a people. After his death and his resurrection, he says, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. Meaning, I'm calling a people to myself now, equipped with God's spirit that will not fail in the mission because now he's given us a spirit. 
because he has washed us with generation, with regeneration. He has poured out his spirit upon us. And now we're called to continue the mission of God and the work of Jesus primarily through our proclamation, what we say to be true about God, but also through our demonstration, how we live our lives out loud for God. And so Paul says, make sure you devote yourself to these good works. What are good works? And we can have a list of things. In short, good works is just doing what God tells you to do. The symbol is obedience, wherever you're at. Most of you, where you're going to do good works at is in the families you live in, in the apartments you live in, um, in the neighborhoods you live in, and the places you go to work nine to five. Like, that's, that's where you're going to display the majority of your obedience and relationship and belief in the gospel is where you work. It all depends, do you see it as something that God says, yeah, I ordain that. Here's what I mean. When I was a youth pastor, one of the ways I try to get the students to understand this, that there's not an unnecessary divide between what is called the secular and the sacred, right? So the secular is like, if you have a job, like you're in banking or you're a plumber or you're a teacher, like you're over here, you're, this is secular, God doesn't really care about it, just kind of be cool in it, right? And then over here was a sacred. If you're a pastor, it's like, dude, God loves you way more than anybody else, like you're good to go, like get some, you're cool, right? And, and we're going, wait a minute, that's not actually what the scriptures teach. And so what I would do with the students, I would say, okay, um, mind you, this is teenagers and this is like mid-2000s, so whatever high school student ministry buzzwords you use, I was like, all right, if you were really totally passionate and sold out for Jesus or whatever it is, right? If, that, if, if you were wanting to serve God with all your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, everything you have, what kind of jobs would you guys choose? And sure enough, there'd be like, you know, I want to be a, pa- I'd be a pastor, you know. And I would be, I'd be a missionary. And every once in a while you get like, I want to be a worship leader, right? And it's like, oh, worship leader, right? And no offense against worship leaders. Obviously, they're great. And then there would always be like, but there's always that one kid who thinks a worship leader is a certain look, right? And so he's like growing out his hair a certain way, and it's usually the hair that's like kind of over his eyes. And it's like... <laughs> And I've always wanted that to just go, what? Well, sorry, I couldn't see what you were. Oh, sorry. I can't. So there were, there were, there were these jobs. And now what you, what you saw in their language was there were clearly jobs that if you were going to live for the Lord with your whole heart, you'd choose those jobs. Which, by the way, all of those are great jobs. Then I said, okay, let's just say it's not about living for God for everything in your whole life, right? Let's just say, what do you really want to do? Like, take that up. What do you want to do? And then what they would say, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a lawyer, you know, I kind of want to uh, be an accountant, and so forth, right? And I said, okay, what if you can take the zeal and understanding of God and do the things you want to do? And what if God ordained that? What if the, we took God at his word and says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it wholeheartedly into the Lord? And then you just can be God's people there. That's what Paul is talking about. When it comes to good works, we we don't have to think too far outside the box. It's like as simple as, oh, my neighbor's trash is still out. I'm not going to go, they're the neighbors with the trash out. I'm going to go and pull their trash and bring it in. Get that. Serving my actual neighbor, right? Like, like, that's amazing. They're, they're, like, it could literally be the way in which you care for your coworkers or your family is doing it in such a way that says this promotes the gospel of Jesus. That in every area where I am, if the gospel is true that God is at work in me, then good works should be me reflecting his character. Whether I'm at home with my children or whether I'm at the park, whether I'm at school or whether I'm at work, everything that I do, I am being intentional about reflecting the character of the Lord and whatever I do because I'm his. And that's me participating in his mission. 
It's something we're called to do. Now, Paul doesn't just say, do good works so that people will like you. We don't have to do that. We don't do good works because we need approval. Like, here's, here's why he starts with the gospel. The whole gospel is you already have the approval that you need from the one that you really need it from, and it ain't going nowhere. And, and so now when you work, it's not to get God to love you anymore. He loves you as much as he possibly can. He's poured it all out on you. He's like, there's nothing else. Like, I, I can, I've given you everything I've given my son. So you're not working for God's approval, and you don't even need to work for the approval of people. And so well, the way the gospel reverses is now we don't work for approval. We work from the approval of God. That everything we do now, we do it ultimately to love God and to care for our neighbors. That we care for the people who love and the people who do not love or know Jesus. But we do it in a way that shows that we love God. And so these works of obedience of going, what has God called me to do? And then doing it in the name of Jesus wherever you're at. It's as simple as that. Well, Paul, Paul, Paul talks about these, these good works that we have that ultimately flow. But there, there is a purpose, he says. There's a missional purpose, or if you can be comfortable, or evangelistic purpose that begins to be profitable. He, he says this. These things, now the good works is what he's talking about, these things. He says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. Meaning, there's something about the way we do things that are profitable and excellent for the people in our life. Those are people who love Jesus and people who don't love Jesus. We all have people in our life, and if you don't, I pray that God would bring some people in your life that love the Lord, that actually encourage you in your faith. Like, not just the words, just watching them go, you know what, I kind of want to be a better man of God. You know what, I, I kind of want to treat my wife way better. You know what, I kind of want to be a neighbor. You know what, I want to pray more. Like, you're just around these people and you're going, there's something about the way they live that's profitable for me. It's inspiring to me. It encourages me. And it's also that way, even with our friends that don't know and trust Jesus. Because, hear me, I get not everybody in the room here uh, is a follower of Christ. But those of us who are, just understand this. You might be the only Bible that your friends and coworkers and family members are reading today. What does it say? What does it say? If, if the Bible is to shape us as a, as a, a people for God— to live out his mission, surrounding our lives around the person and work of Jesus. And our friends don't know that. They don't read the scriptures and so forth. Um, and we're the only Bible that they have. Like, how, like what is it saying? I, sometimes I think at best we're, we're good at drive-by evangelism. You know, like you run, you know, you're driving the crowd. It's like, Jesus loves you. And it's like, you know what? They speak sign language to us when we do that. And you can guess what sign language they give us, right? And so there's... There's that sense, or we have um, a lot of proclamation. We talk about Jesus, but then no demonstration. And so that's the, the picture that I would give us about the ornamental oranges. I'm, like, fascinated with the fact that we have ornamental orange trees here. So we in the great state of Arizona have thought it would be a really good idea to grow orange trees that are not really oranges. Right? Um, and so there's ornamental oranges and there's oranges. And they both grow on trees that look like orange trees, smell like oranges, and so forth. And so from the, on the external, it looks like an orange until you get to the heart of it, and it's not. There's a way to get, do good works that's not born of the gospel. <laughs> Paul is not saying let's just be good moral be beings. Let's just be good citizens um, that just to do good. You don't need the Holy Spirit for that. He's saying, no, no, I want it to be rooted in the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ that what you do has to be connected to your relationship with Jesus and flow from that. 
that, that we don't want to be people who just talk about something and never demonstrate it. it it's the other picture of going, um, we're barking out what we believe to be proclamations, but none of us are living it out. And so we're saying, yeah, that's an orange tree, when our friends that don't know Jesus are going, no, that's clearly an apple tree. There's red apples. And that's what happens when the church is saying, no, 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 Jesus loves you, and Jesus is good, and Jesus has changed my life, and yet we act as a whole people like nothing's changed. That really our life and our friend's life mirror each other. We're just here at 11 o'clock, and they're not. They're watching the basketball game, for goodness sake, right? Like, when it comes to that, it's going, we have to say it's an orange tree, and then they got to taste it and see, like, no, that's an orange, and that's what an orange tastes like. That if we are the Bible that they're reading until they can trust and know Jesus, like, what are we saying? Our actions matter. It's excellent, and it's profitable. So, and I've shared this before, one of my good friends in college was the example of this. What I love about the gospel, guys, like personally, what I love about the gospel, not just saving us and redeeming us, is, is that it draws all people. One of, my, one of my biggest, when people say I was at church going, one of my biggest joys of our church over the past six months to a year and a half is the diversity of people that God's bringing, old, young, black, white, Jew, and Gentile, so forth. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, it's anyone who's not a Jewish person. So we're all pork-eating Gentiles, right? And I love that. And the reason why that's good is because Paul says earlier that the gospel is bringing all people to salvation. And that means literally all types of people. And people need to see what their life would look like if they're a Christian. It can't be just some monolithic group of people that go, oh, I got to conform to that as opposed to conforming to a life, being transformed in the life of Christ. And what I mean by that is we, people, our friends who are not Christians need to be able to look at our life and go, oh, that's what it would look like if I was a Christian. So when I was in college, there was a guy named Ishmael Thrower. Which, if you know anything of the story of Ishmael, like, that's not a name that you would name a Christian, Ishmael. Um, but that was his name, and he was a godly dude. And Ishmael was, like, big, huge, buff dude, long dreads, like, nobody you would really mess with, right? And, and for whatever even perception-wise, he didn't look like a Christian, if that makes any sense. But he was. And there was a couple things that stood out to me with Ish. And mainly, the first one was, like, he was celibate. He would say, yeah, I love this woman that I'm with. I'm probably going to marry her, but, you know, my hands don't go anywhere. We don't have sex. I'm like, Wow. Like, as a 20-year-old college football player, I'm like, dang, like, you must really love Jesus, right? And, and every once in a while in the church, you'll get people say, you know, um, I've saved myself to marriage. And, and that's really good, and that's what the, God, the Bible calls for. But some people, you were saving yourself because nobody wanted to be with you. Let's just be honest, right? And so, <laughs> that's, we can be honest. And you're laughing, but it's true. And so... He wasn't that guy. I mean, like, he, you know, he was a good-looking dude, but he was he just the way, the way he did little things. And here was the littlest thing that he did. Every time we were out or every time we were at somebody's house and we were drinking, Ishmael would be there. Ishmael never drank, and that doesn't make you Christian or not. That's not what I'm saying. But what he was there for was he was a designated driver for everybody. Hey, man, just be here. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Just wait here. I'll be back. In, I'm going to drop them off back in 10 minutes. Hey, I'll be back in 10 minutes. He goes, man, I'm just here for you guys. I'm just here, man, what are you doing here? What are you doing at the party-ish? He's like, man, I'm just here for you guys. And he would just chill. Anybody need a ride? No, 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 I got it. I'll take him. I'll be back in 10 minutes. And he would, before there was Uber, there was ish. <laughs> right? And, and he would just take people back and forth. And, and, you know, and he'd just be there. And he'd be, you know, it'd always be like, hey, where's all the chasers? And it's like, well, ish, because Ishmael didn't drink, but he drank all the Diet Coke and stuff. It's like, ish. He's like, hey, man, thirsty. <laughs> and he gave all of us. All of us, that's what my life would look like if I followed Jesus. Here was a man who was full of conviction, was different than anyone I'd ever seen, 
somehow was in the world but not of the world, but yet had a clear conviction of who God was, what God wanted for him, and he lived it in such a way that we loved him. It was profitable for us that he loved Jesus and he cared about us. When we respond to the gospel, we see what God is doing in us, and it doesn't just fall on itself, but we get to work and doing good works and wherever God has us in the name of Jesus, then, 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 we should be a people, not just individually, a people of church. If the churches in Tempe begin to look at the issues and the needs in the city and looked at the city and said, we're here for you. Then we begin to look at the needs of many people who are coming here from multiple countries called refugees who don't have a place of home to be able to welcome them and say, hey, we're actually, God's placed us here for you. That when we begin to look at the needs, primarily in Tempe, looking at those who they call aging out, which I think, I can't think of a worse name to describe people, but that don't have care. The people are not, their family members are not around to care for them. And they're saying, we need a group of people to come alongside and care for them. That if somehow if the city could look at us because they know, because of our conviction in the, of the cross of Christ, because we have been regenerated, ultimately because God's called us to good works, that we're here collectively to say, we are, in the name of Jesus, here for you. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the life and love that you've given to us in your son, Jesus. For the call that you have on our life, not specifically, Lord, but communally, to join in by invitation and command to the mission in which you are on and restoring and redeeming the world through the preaching as well as the demonstrating of the gospel. That, Father, may, it be cons- may our words be consistent with our actions. And likewise, Lord, God, I pray that your spirit would bring about a conviction upon us all, Lord, to live our lives, Lord, in ways that we can intentionally take the lead, Lord, and devoting ourselves to good works, to devoting ourselves uh, to caring for others, to devoting ourselves to serving others. Lord, making none of this thing called church about us and our own preferences and our own personal desires, but have our affections and your desires, Lord, our affections and desires be lined up with yours. And so, Lord, we ask for that upon us as a community. We ask for your presence, Lord, to continue to empower us We ask for your spirit to lead us and for your son Jesus to continue to reveal to us who you are as our great father and God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.